there was a dream team creating it. Famous baseball player and avid gamer Kurt Schilling. Famed fantasy writer R.A. Salvatore. Renowned comic book writer Todd McFarlane. Creative visionary Ken Rolston, who was made famous for being the lead designer on two of the most well-known RPGs in the Elder Scrolls series, Morrowind and Oblivion. And it was all these names together that created a ton of hype around Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. And so when it was released to the world on February 7th, 2012, there should have been tons of celebration. And for a moment, there was. But only a few months later, in May of that year, it would all come crashing down in a scandal that would cause the closure of the studio and the loss of millions of dollars of taxpayer money. What happened? Where did it all go wrong? We'll answer those questions and more as we take today's trip down memory card lane. morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 76th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we pick one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. Today, we're talking about Kingdoms of Amalur, Reckoning, which is a game that's still kind of active in that it just got some new downloadable content about two months ago, which is just before its 10th anniversary, which we're celebrating today. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who frequently gets lost in fantasy worlds, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, where are you hiding out these days? Mostly my bedroom, Dave. That's a fantasy world? I mean, it is for some. Oh, oh brother. Uh, I'm not touching that. So what are you playing these right now? What's what's uh, what's your weekend gaming look like? Well, this week I did a little bit of Rocket League and RuneScape. That's, uh, that's about it. Yeah, how about you? A little bit of Rocket League. Did my Forza Weeklies and played a little bit of a game called telling lies and runescape i don't think there's anything else in there rob you ever heard of kingdoms of amalur reckoning before you know dave i can't say that i have not in any way shape or form uh no i that does not sound the least bit familiar to me man you're so missing it looks out. like it's a time to learn missing out so even as a baseball player, former Major League Baseball pitcher, 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 Kurt Schilling was an avid gamer. Did you know Kurt Schilling was a gamer? That I did not, Dave. He is known for playing EverQuest, which actually we have an episode scheduled on EverQuest later this year. Uh, he plays EverQuest 2. He's written reviews on both uh, on expansions for both both EverQuest for PC Gamer Magazine. He has also been known to play World of Warcraft extensively 
and in fact was a regular guest on the World of Warcraft podcast, which is named The Instance. Hmm. So as his baseball career began to wind down, Kurt was looking at what he would do with his retirement. So in December of 2005, he approached his wife's uncle, who was a retired business executive, with the idea of starting a video game company. He was particularly interested in building just the kind of game that he had been championing and, you know, was a champion of for years, which was, you know, an MMORPG like EverQuest and World of Warcraft. It was an idea that he sat on for a short, uh, short while until sometime in 2006 when he was gaming online uh, along with a number of friends, six to be exact. And he asked these six gaming friends while chatting online, I'm seriously contemplating starting a gaming company. Who else is in? Pretty, pretty simple, right? Yeah. I mean, if only it were always so simple, I guess it really could be, though. It, it clearly was and still well, can be. Well, let's be fair. So Kurt Schilling was, a, a you know, a, a Hall of Fame baseball pitcher. He had the money for starters, you know, to, to be able to to at least get his show started and probably the network that a lot of people don't have. In fact, I can tell you for sure that he had the network that a lot of us don't have because he wasn't just done when he recruited those six gaming friends. The impressive part of what Kurt Schilling was able to do was who else he was able to recruit. And who is that Dave? So joining these six friends were his wife's uncle Famed fantasy author R.A. Salvatore and comic book artist Todd McFarlane. Any of those names ring a bell? Mm, Todd McFarlane sure does. Might be Fairlane. I might butcher his name, but that's okay. Yeah, it might be McFarlane, but you know. So together. Definitely, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good guy there. It's a he's a pretty good guy. He's a pretty amazing man, you might say. He is an amazing ha, man. Ha, yes, good one. Ha. So together, they all formed Green Monster Games in September of 2006. The next year, during spring training of 2007, Kurt Schilling announced that the company would be changing its name to 38 Studios, which was named after Schilling's jersey jersey number as a better reflection of what the, as he put it, a better reflection of what the company was working to achieve. So let's talk about all the talent he recruited for a moment, just so our listeners can have an understanding of what makes this group so special. You know, we, we've talked about powerhouse groups or dream teams in the past. I think we talked about it, particularly with Chrono Trigger. Yep, which that was, was the one. Yep, which was a dream team. But in all honesty, this was a dream team of a different kind. So R.A. Salvatore is an American author who has sold more than 15 million copies of his books in the United States alone. 22 of his titles have been on the New York Times bestsellers list. He is an incredibly well-known fantasy writer, best known for the Demon Wars saga and the legend of Drist, for whom he he created a a popular D&D Forgotten Realms character, Drist Doerden. He also is kind of known because he wrote a very controversial book in the Star Wars Expanded Universe, which is called Vector Prime. And it was it's not canon anymore, so it really doesn't count. But it was at the time the first novel to kill off one of the characters from the original trilogy. 
It was canon at it one was, point. So expanded universe was canon. And then when Disney bought Star Wars and decided to revamp everything, uh, they basically nixed the whole expanded universe. Uh, okay. So, I actually didn't know about that. Um, so no, most of the expanded universe is no longer canon. Uh, and, and it actually makes sense. So the character that he killed off was Chewbacca. And of course, Chewbacca is in the modern trilogy. So the two wouldn't jive with one another. Uh, so, yeah, that does make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah they kind of couldn't. Yeah, there's a lot of other weird stuff in the expanded universe that doesn't fly anymore. So. But the point is, is that Salvatore is really fantasy writing royalty. And he was hired into 38 Studios as its creative director. As its creative director, he would write the dialogue for Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning and create its backstory, which involved a history that would span over 10,000 years of this kingdom. Perhaps better known of the talent, though, is one of its art directors, Todd McFarlane. McFarlane is a Canadian comic book artist and writer who is best known for his work as an artist on The Amazing Spider-Man. He would later go on to create his own comic book publishing company, Imagine Comics, which publishes, among other things, his probably his, his most famous self-created character, Spawn. McFarlane provided art direction for the Kingdoms of Amalur game and one other title in the universe that was never finished that we'll talk about. So along the way, this team picked up a few other notable members, but not one perhaps as important as Ken Rolston. Ken Rolston was a video game designer who was best known for his work as lead designer on the Elder Scrolls 3 Morrowind and the Elder Scrolls 4 Oblivion. Hmm, pretty good games. Very good games. Very, very good games. After working on the Elder Scrolls series, Ken would later become lead designer for a company called Big Huge Games. And as part of Big Huge Games, he would work on two projects that were ultimately canceled and was eventually brought on as lead creative visionary for 38 Studios when the studio acquired Big Huge Games in 2009. And then last, we also have Grant Kirkhope, who we've actually talked about before. So Kirkhope is the voice of Donkey Kong, but is more well known for his musical prowess. Uh, as a video game composer, he worked on GoldenEye, Banjo-Kazooie, Donkey Kong 64, Perfect Dark, Super Smash Brothers, World of Warcraft, and more. But admittedly, Ken Rolston is probably the most important hire among the bunch. So if you'll recall, Kurt Schilling had wanted to create the next greatest MMORPG. And that's what 38 Studios had been working on up until this point. It was called uh, Project Copernicus. But when the studio acquired Big Huge Games in 2009, Ken Rolston and his team as part of Big Huge Games had already been working on an RPG. The studio then decided to repurpose their work and it was retooled to be set in the same universe as the MMORPG in order to introduce the, 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 Amalur, the Amalur MMO. And so at this point, the company was working on two games at once. There was the single player RPG being retooled and thus created by Ken Rolson's team. And there was what 38 Studios had been working on prior, which was an MMORPG that they called Project Copernicus. In order to fund these projects, Schilling turned to, of all places, the state of Rhode Island. He, he happened to be at like a fundraising dinner 
and he ran into the governor of Rhode Island and they were talking about an opportunity and and Schilling jumped at it. So in July of 2010, the Rhode Island Economic Development Corporation approved a $75 million guarantee to 38 studios, who in exchange had committed to bringing 450 jobs to the state by the end of 2012. In 2011, relocation to Providence, Rhode Island began, and right off the bat, 160 employees were moved and began working in the new space, which actually exceeded milestones that were agreed upon for job creation, relocation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And so everything seemed great when the single player game King that we're talking about today, kingdoms of Amalur reckoning was released to the world on February 7th, 2012. And for a very brief moment, everything was great. So let's talk about the game for a moment. Rob, you have you don't even know what this is really other than what we've talked about, right? Right. Okay. So Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning is an action role-playing game. Action meaning that the battles are conducted in real time and not turn-based like a traditional RPG. It featured five distinct regions, four playable races, and three different class trees that each had 22 abilities. So there was a lot of customization between your races and your classes. Now, these class trees were basically distilled down to whether or not you wanted to be a fighter, a rogue, or a mage. And Schilling himself perhaps said it best when he was quoted as saying that the style of the game was a marriage between God of War and the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. Hmm. And on top of that, all your other traditional RPG elements are there. It's, you know, you have shops that you purchase equipment from, you have crafting with materials, you know, you have your magic and and your just it, it was your really atypical fantasy RPG that you would level up and invest your points and your skills and 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 build, you know, and buy and craft your own equipment and so on and so forth. And on top of that, it was a really, really interesting story. So Re- Reckoning is set in what, what's called the Feylands, which is one of the kingdoms of Amalur. There's supposed to be a bunch of kingdoms. We've only seen the Feylands so far. And it's home to the immortal Fey of there's the Summer Fey and the Winter Fey, the Summer Court and the Winter Court. Now, there's an extremist group in the Winter Court of the Winter Fey who seek to exterminate all mortal races. They started what's called the Crystal War. Basically, everything mortal is going to die. Also found throughout Amalur is a species of gifted people, supernaturally gifted people, called Fate Weavers. Now, Fate Weavers can look into an individual's future and they, and and can tell what they see. They tell the people what they see. They focus in particular on how people are going to die. But for a number of years before the game starts, and, and what we find out is the story leading up to it, the fate of everyone in the Phalans has been slain by this extremist group, which suggests that inevitably they'll win the Crystal War and kill everybody. And in this game, you basically wake up in a pile of dead bodies. <laughs> That's literally how it starts. Right. So you're the story. So you're immortal, and you're called the Fateless One. 
And so the premise is you've died and the game starts out with you having been revived in an experiment by a scientist. And then inevitably you stumble across a fate weaver who finds that he can't find your future. He can't read your future. It's the first time he's ever been able to not read someone's future. And through chance, they also find out that as the fateless one, you have the ability to change the fates of others when you basically prevent someone from dying in a way that they were supposed to die. And so the whole premise is like you take these powers and you go off into this world trying to basically alter everyone's fate, which was die, die at the hands of the extremist group. Um, and it's honestly, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, it was a, not the longest game. The, the main story was about 30 hours um and some completionists could i mean you could easily spend 100 hours or more in the game i bought this when it came out i played it uh on its original version which was xbox 360 i went back and i looked at my achievements i finished about half the achievements but i do know i played through the story i really really liked this game um it uh, i think action rpgs are fun and that whole concept of it being a marriage between god of war and Elder Scrolls is pretty true. It had really deep lore, really good story, but that that the the fighting system was really fluid. I, I, I mean, God of War is a good good way to put it, but Devil May Cry would also be a really good way to put it. It played it played like those games do, you know. Sounds uh, very interesting. It was a it, honestly it was so this game is good. But for reasons that we're going to talk about shortly, it really fell flat on its face. And it's really sad because it's a very underrated game. And even though even though it's still around, which again, we'll get to that. Um, it, it just it, I don't think it ever lost its reputation from what happened initially. And it's a shame. Because it's one of the one of the better RPGs I think I've played modern in modern times. So uh, I really did like the story. It was a it was it was good and it was fun to play. Um, it was a lot of fun to play. Um, you know the the graphics are a little cartoony. I know that turned people off, but uh, you know art style is art style. And come on, Todd McFarlane's a comic book artist. What do you expect? Um, true enough. True enough. But the story was good and it was unique and it was different. And you're, you know, the the concept of fate and being able to alter people's fates was a lot of fun. And just it was a really enjoyable game to go through. Um, it was a really enjoyable game to go through. I'm really not the only people person that thought thought that, though, am I? Uh, I don't believe so, Dave. No, no. What did some other people have to say about the game? I. If I recall correctly, when it came out, it was looked at pretty favorably. Well, Dave, you're right. It was looked at fairly favorably. Uh, IGN initially said that Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning will be discussed when Game of the Year 2012 rolls around. They say it isn't a perfect game. It's random technical hiccups and inconsistent art style certainly holds it back from even higher levels of greatness. But no matter what you're looking for, whether it be amazing gameplay, immersive storytelling, or perhaps a riveting new world to explore as you fully customize and recustomize your character at will. Reckoning has it all. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that. I think it was a great game. I don't know if it was elite tier. 
I, I don't I don't know if I'd put it on the same level as Skyrim, you know, which I think everyone kind of puts in the elite tier of RPGs. So but it was a great game. Who else said what about it? Well, GameSpot gave it a 7.5, having mixed feelings about it. Writing that how much you love Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning depends on what you look for in a role-playing game. Let's say you long for a pervasive sense of time and place, for a great story featuring memorable characters, or for varied quests given weight by superb context. If that's you, then Kingdoms of Amalur will disappoint. (laughs) Then again... You might want wonderful battles against cool creatures, terrific looting and leveling, and lots of ways to customize your skills and equipment. If so, then this is the world you should inhabit. The context is hardly inspired, but you'll be having so much fun that you may not care. Alright, fair enough. Someone else who wasn't as in love with the world. Indeed. Uh, they, yeah, You know, everyone's got their thing, though. True statement. So next we have Game Trailers, who was kind of in the same boat, writing that though it leans a little too heavily on well-trod genre conventions, there's no denying that Reckoning has a whole lot to offer in terms of sheer breath. Similarly, though the challenge tapers off dramatically toward the end, its combat is welcoming, gratifying, and hypnotic. There's been no shortage lately of all-consuming RPGs that span dozens upon dozens of hours. If you've got room on your plate for one more, Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning is definitely worth a look. All right. So, I mean, the critics are looking at it pretty good. Were users checking it out? Like, were they in love with it, too? Well, let's uh, see some user reviews from its first week of release in 2012, Dave. Okay. So, user DarkElf111 gave it a 10 and wrote on Metacritic, I simply love Skyrim, Oblivion, and many other RPGs, and I'm adding Kingdoms of Amalur right to the list. I'm not saying everything is perfect, but the fun of the combat makes it hard to put down. I love the environments also, and I know the cartoon-type graphics are a turn-off for many, but I love games that let me see fantasy and not something I can see in the real world. I wish all the best for 38 Studios and this IP, because all the generic shooters out there, good RPGs are hard to find, and I think this is going to be a great IP. I, Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll get to that. Carry on. All right. So next we have 8-Bit on Metacritic, who gave it a 9 and wrote that an all-star cast with great voice acting and a great sense of open world with beautiful scenery. This game has pulled off everything it said it would. The randomized loot and crafting makes an even deeper sense of playstyle, but look as well. The combat is well suited for this type of game and is ever changing with every level and power you gain. Don't listen to the Skyrim fanboys. You really can't compare the games as they are truly standalone titles. I only give it a 9 for slight graphic errors, but I can see those being fixed in the near future. This game honestly feels like what Fable promised it would be like. It goes above and beyond expectations. My number one RPG for sure. I don't know if I'd call it my number one, but that's okay. What well, else we got? To each their own, Dave. So next up, we have user XX Murdoch, who thought it was a pretty fun game, giving it an eight, then writing 
that the story lacks any kind of focus and the lack of your character speaking or the NPCs around having facial expressions, you never really get attached to the story. Combat is a big improvement in the genre, although judged up against counterparts of action titles such as Devil May Cry or God of War, the controls are far from tight and responsive and nowhere near as fluent. After 10 hours of play, I can definitely recommend due to its just plain fun factor. And at the end of the day, who really cares about the comparisons if a game is fun? It's fun. And this game is definitely fun. So people liked the game. You know, I it had a lot of competition that year. Uh, some other games that came out in 2012 were Mass Effect 3. Uh, Journey, which we've covered in a previous episode. Mm. Dishonored. Borderlands 2 was a 2012 title. Far Cry 3. Um, Guild Wars 2. XCOM. Enemy Unknown. What else? Uh, the highest grossing game in, in 2012 was Black Ops 2. Call of Duty Black Ops 2. And World oh, of Warcraft uh, did an expansion that year. So there was all oh, Pokemon Black and White 2. That was 2012 too. So there was a lot of competition that year. It was it was it was easy it was easy to get swallowed up, but people liked it. You know, it got favorably good reviews, you know, from critics, it got decent reviews from users. For all purposes, it should have been a popular game. You know, I can remember the hype leading up to it because for people that were paying attention, this, this combination of all these people was a big deal. I mean, like I said, Salvatore is a, a fantasy running royalty and you had the, the artist from the amazing Spider-Man, the creator of spawn and the guy who basically was the lead designer from two of the best RPGs from their era, you know, Morrowind and oblivion. Um, it, it was, it, it was a big deal and the hype was there. Like, they had uh, this whole big deal the day that the demo was going to be released. Like famous people were streaming. I remember, for instance, I say famous people. I remember Ice Cube is in a picture somewhere with Kurt Schilling promoting the game. Uh, Felicia Day did a live stream the day it came out with the demo. Just and all these people, they live streamed with McFarlane. They live streamed with Salvatore. Like everyone leading up to this was a big deal. And then the demo came out, and the demo was buggy as crap. But it really didn't dissuade people because it was a demo, you know. So the hype was the hype was really building as this game came out, and then it came out, and it was a decent game, um, you know. So, in all honesty, everyone was riding high for a few months after the the Kingdoms of Amalur game was released, and at this time, work was creating work work was continuing on their other project the MMO version of this game, which was called Project Copernicus. But then on May 1st, and let me remind you that the game came out first week of February, so roughly, what, three months later? Yeah, about about so. So on May 1st, a check that was written to the state of Rhode Island bounced, and the company defaulted on a $1.125 million loan payment. Oh, that, that, that'll hurt you. That'll hurt you. 17 days later, on May 18th, $1.024 million was wired to the state from the company, and another $100,000 personal check was turned in to the state from an unnamed source. 
But about then, employees began to notice that they were not getting paid. <laughs> well, it, I, I don't mean to laugh. That's unfortunate for them, but that's uh, what a mess. Already. It was a mess. This whole Rhode Island economic development deal began to unravel and there were casualties all over the place. I mean, like right off the bat on May 16th, before the other million dollars was even wired to the state, the executive director of the Rhode Island Economic Development Corporation resigned. That same week, the CEO and a senior vice president of 38 Studios both indicated that they had left the company. The CEO, in fact, had taken a leave of absence in March, and she basically put her hands up and said, look, I haven't been there since March. I don't know what the hell is going on. Oh, my God. I I remember when this went down because every single day there was another news story about what was going on up in Rhode Island, you know, how the state was going to recoup their money, why the state was giving $75 million to a video game company, like what, what basically happened. And so, honestly, it came as no surprise to anyone when on May 24th, 2012, 38 Studios officially declared bankruptcy, ceased all operations, and it laid off all of its staff and Big Huge Game staff with a mass email. Wow. Kurt Schilling, for his part, publicly addressed the studio's failure a couple days later on a Boston radio station. He declared that he never took a salary and that he had invested his entire personal fortune of $50 million into the company with no hopes of getting it backed. As he put it, he was completely tapped out. And it didn't stop there. Not before long, the Rhode Island State Police, the Attorney General's Office, the U.S. Attorney General's Office, and the FBI all began investigating the company. The investigation from the state police didn't come up with enough to actually charge to file any criminal charges against the studio. But on the topic of criminal charges, before we move away from it, a few years later, the SEC would investigate the whole situation for securities fraud. And they basically determined that the company companies, because both were held accountable, defrauded bond investors out of money by entering in this agreement, both w- because both had the knowledge that $75 million was not going to be enough to finish the Copernicus project. And so that was considered, that was considered misleading investors. And so as a result, they were fined by the sec. I think it was like $50,000 fine, which in, in the scheme of things, not huge, but still, but in the meantime, with everything that was uncovered, There, of course, was civil litigation, with the end result being that a lot of people, Kurt Schilling and all these investors, ended up collectively owing the state of Rhode Island about $61 million. Jeez. And so as part of all this, the state of Rhode Island ended up with absolutely everything. 38 Studios, and its building, all of its assets, the IPs, the licenses, so the Kingdoms of Amalur. Uh, became owned by the state and big huge games became owned by the state of Rhode Island. Uh, Everything defaulted to the state of Rhode Island in order to pay for this mess. It was, it was, it was crazy. Honestly, it was, it was flipping nuts. Yeah, that's, that's a whole lot. Yeah. 
It later came out that the game sold 1.2 million copies uh, in the first 90 days, which is not too shabby, to be honest. That's a, that's a decent haul. Yeah, that seems impressive, honestly. But, but the game had needed to sell over 3 million copies just to break even at that point. Oh, that's rather unfortunate. But it wasn't the end for the Kingdoms of Amalur. As you'll recall at the top of the episode, I had talked about it just having had new downloadable content released. Yeah. How? What? I know, right? So in October of 2013... For starters, the founders of Big Huge Games revived the studio by reacquiring their trademark from the state of Rhode Island in an auction held by the state. And in September of 2018, THQ Nordic announced that it had acquired the intellectual property assets of 38 studios from the state, which included Kingdoms of Amalur and Project Copernicus. And so not soon after, they announced plans to release a remastered version of Kingdoms of Amalur Reckoning. This version, which they called Kingdoms of Amalur The Re-Reckoning, was released for Windows, PlayStation 4, and Xbox One on September 8th, 2020, uh, while a Switch, Switch version was released at the end of March 2021. Wow. And they collected everything, and they kind of continued to do some work with it, and so a few months ago, in December of 2021, THQ Nordic released the third and the which and, and last announced expansion for Kingdoms of Amalur, which is currently available for all remastered versions of the game. And as one last side note related to this whole mess, it was reported that in August of 2021, that former 38 Studios employees had started to receive portions of the salaries that they were due when the company went under. They were really only expected to make back about 20% of what they were owed, but 20% years later is better than nothing, you know? Yeah, that's good that they at least got something and they weren't just completely out of it, but still very unfortunate the way everything went down. Incredibly unfortunate. Um, incredibly unfortunate. And and that's 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 it. Quick and concise, you know, you know, famous people involved. There were bad business decisions. There was not enough hype or maybe too much hype, depending on how you look at it. And in the end, a, a, a major video game intellectual property was ended up owned by the state of Rhode Island. Of all places, Rhode Island. Who thinks yeah. it's a, who thinks it's a good idea to move a video game studio to Rhode Island? I mean, I'm sure that there were business reasons, maybe taxes or the laws were more lax for businesses or no, uh, there's was, always a reason. It was all that $75 million. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm sure that that uh, definitely helped it, too. And it was sad because all these pe those those initial 160 employees, all of them picked up their lives and moved to Rhode Island, to Providence, Rhode Island. And then the company went belly up. And they're sitting there in Providence, Rhode Island, with a skill set that no one else needs in Rhode Island, basically saying, we just picked up our life and moved here. What are we going to do now? You know? Well, they could uh, go fish for crabs. I guess. It was stupid. It was. Yeah, no, definitely. That's. Yeah. 
it was fascinating though. It was a train wreck, and I, I, I there was, I mean, I'm not even kidding. There was a news story about it like every day because that was when I, I read gaming news. Uh, I was pretty hooked on it, you know, and I follow it now, but not like I did back then. And um, every day there was just some speculation or talk, and uh, you know about this, and it was it was just a, a absolute train wreck. And it, I freaking remember like when it went down because like. You know, Kurt Schilling was, you know, put in front of, you know, uh, interviewed like by by politicians, not like the Senate, but probably like the Rhode Island Senate type deal, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like everyone was trying to get to the bottom of, of what was happening. Now, there's actually some good parts in there. You know, I, I, I don't know if Kurt Schilling will ever bounce back on his feet. Um I know that uh, some years later, Salvatore was kind of quoted as uh, quoted, as, you know, someone asked about the money he was owed, which was reported to be about two million dollars. And he basically said, look, I'm not going to kick Kurt while he's down. There's no point in going after him for that two million dollars that I'm never going to get. What's done is done. And, and, and that's that. So not everyone acted a fool throughout this whole thing. Um, but. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people's lives got upstarted, uprooted and messed up. And it was, it was, it was crap. But I'll tell you, like, if you ever break your uh, addiction to your current games, I mean, I saw, I, it, I, I literally, while I was writing, I got an alert on my phone because I get gaming sales alerts that it was like the Switch version was on sale for 15 bucks. And it's absolutely worth fifteen bucks. I, I'm sure the remastered versions go on sale sometimes too. It, it's a good game. I, you know, I'd recommend it. It's voice acted, and I mean, it's it's a legitimate role playing game. And everyone needs to buy it because if you don't, I mean, who knows if we'll ever see anything else in the Amalur universe? Maybe someday we'll actually see Project Copernicus. Who knows? Yeah, no, I definitely want to give it a try now. It sounds very interesting, and uh, obviously a lot of people raved about it. So, And the controversy behind it, it's always a cool little side thing to to be like, hey, you know, this game that I'm playing had all this crazy stuff happening. Yeah, which you're either in two boats. One, you know completely about it, or two, you know nothing about it. You know, like, there's so many people that are going to play this and have no idea how fascinating its history is. Uh, and how much of a cluster i mean it literally bankrupted the studio you, you know like this game literally bankrupt it came out and it's a good game but it literally bankrupted a studio and you know then the state of rhode island was knocking on the studio's door for money it's it's hilarious when you distill it down to what it actually is no it absolutely is dave um but you know a lot more people know now because listening here and uh (laughs) yeah yeah thank you hey exactly and you know if they want to hear more you want to tell them where they can yeah so if you want to check out more uh about this i posted show notes uh you know some links to some of the stuff for this also there's a let's play if you don't want to play but you want to see what the game's all about i've been posting let's play for episodes you can also find some links to other episodes we talked about grant kirk hope uh, in a previous episode, we'll talk about EverQuest in a future episode. So lots going down. And you can find a link to our archives on www.memorycardlane.com. 
You'll also find a link to join us on Patreon if you want to come and chat some games with us or play some games with us. So that's there too. And you'll find plugs to our social media. I am on Twitter as David is wrong. Rob, what are you doing on social media these days? Well, Dave, I can be found on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Awesome. Well, on that note, I think uh, this maybe perhaps isn't as long as some episodes, but I think I told a pretty tight story. So I'm feeling pretty satisfied with what I've done today. Can't always use time as a judge for being successful. Uh, But yeah, so at the top of each episode, we always talk about our goal. Each week, we talk about a game relevant to the current week in gaming history. And in doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game. What it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. And as part of our goal... We like to go round table and talk about our biggest takeaways and what we learned from each episode. So, Rob, what did you learn today? Well, Dave, today I learned that there was a game created by a baseball pitcher that then got owned by the state of Rhode Island. Yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah, that's there's a whole lot more to it, but that's that's it in a nutshell. It's so that's, that's a lot to take in. Yeah, it's so <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, it's so ridiculous. It, it's just. Uh... Yeah, I I definitely wonder if there are any other games with quite this level of controversy. Not like this, not financial like this, not that took money from a state that I can ever remember. That's what made this so unique was that they took money from the state of Rhode Island And then it went bankrupt and there was all this talk about how they defrauded the taxpayers, right? That was the whole point. You just cost the taxpayers so much money. Why are taxpayers funding video game development? Like it was all about the taxpayers. And that's why everyone came out of the woodwork and investigated them. You know, the SEC and the FBI and the attorney general. I mean, that's, that's what it was like. Is there proof that people were misappropriating taxpayer funds uh, as far as I know, it's the only video game where something like this has happened and just absolutely went up in flames. Now, that being said, there are other companies that were given like tax incentives to move. I mean, this is not the only company that's ever done that, but it certainly is the the highest profile one and the one that went up in flames and that that literally everyone could see from everywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely uh, an interesting story behind it. So what about you? What was your biggest takeaway from all of this? I never much paid attention to Kurt Schilling before. I knew that he was a baseball player who owned, owned this company, but I never really researched him. And so learning about his, he, the fact that he was an avid gamer um, and that he was into MMOs, MMO, is not a big genre for me. I don't traditionally get into that genre, although right now we're into that genre. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Right. But like, and I can't say I've never played wow. Like I had my wow moment for a little bit. It was way after everyone else had their wow moment, but you know, I I did it to join. I played wow. So I could play with, with friends who were hooked on it. Uh, But traditionally MMOs are not my thing. Like I, 
you know, I talked about us doing EverQuest later this year. I never had an EverQuest moment. EverQuest was not my thing. Um, I think that aside from WoW and now RuneScape, uh, the only MMO I ever played extensively was Lord of the Rings Online. Um, mm. Mostly because I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan and it was so cool to get lost in that actual universe. So, Tight. yeah, I didn't... Uh, I didn't really know. I didn't really know how Kurt came to be in in owning that company, uh, but it was fun to learn that he was an avid gamer and also kind of sad. I mean, what gamer doesn't want to like? I, I'm not every gamer, but let's assume there's probably a lot of gamers that want to want to create, have the ability to create video games, and he had that opportunity, and it just went up in flames, you know, and we can probably assume that there was a lot of money mismanagement that did it uh, and just people getting into it and not realizing what it was actually going to cost to make these games. You know, I think a lot of people who get into game development don't quite understand the scope of actual game development. And this is again, another really famous example that just, um, that just absolutely, um, absolutely, uh, went up in flames you know yeah absolutely well rob before i take it out of here is there anything else that you would like to say to our listeners no i think we're good okay that's okay i don't mind no no as always i do want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for listening we are still enjoying doing this after so many weeks so hopefully you're still listening Hopefully you are still enjoying listening to the sounds of our voices or at least listening to the facts about these games and and that kind of stuff, even though it's coming from our voices. But hopefully you find some joy because we're still finding our joy. Joy, joy, joy. It is fun. I mean, we wouldn't be here doing it if we didn't enjoy it. Right. You are, Dave. Well, Rob, next week, we're next week. We're going to be completely switching genres. Uh, we're going to be looking at a genre we haven't spent much time in, which is the puzzle adventure genre. Ooh. Uh, we're going to solve a mystery in a city where the residents are particularly fond of brain teasers and frequently ask players to help solve them in exchange for their cooperation in solving the mystery. Rob, have you ever played a Professor Layton game? I have, Dave. Yeah, so we actually have stuff to talk. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, have you played more than one Professor Layton game? That I have as well. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, next week we're going to look at the first title in the Professor Layton series, Professor Layton and the Curious Village. Professor Layton and the Curious Village is a puzzle adventure video game that was released for the Nintendo DS on January 15th, 2007. It is a whole lot of brain teasers and puzzles and just really fun stuff to look at. So we'll be here this time next week. Join around, stick with us, and do those other things as we take a curious trip down memory card lane. <laughs> do the thing. Skibidi ba 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 da buada.